0: You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. A few years ago, I had the opportunity of giving advice to a church not far from here that had been in decline uh, for 27 years. Every year, they saw a downward trend in attendance, a downward trend in income, and for 15 years, they had no one come to Christ and no water baptisms. 15 years. And they brought me in to consult with them and give them advice. <clears throat> now, you might find that funny. I, I laugh because it's a nervous laugh, uh, because they said, come and help us. So I took a whiteboard and I drew some dots. The first dot was now. Now. The next dot was five years, 10 years, 15 years, and 20 years. And I asked this question at the 20-year dot, who is here in 20 years? And there was a group of leaders. Not one of them raised their hand because all of them added 20 to their current age and recognized they wouldn't be here. And uh, so then we went back to 15, and then there was a couple, and then we went back to 10, and they said, well, the Lord willing, kind of thing. And I said, so if you're the key leaders, and in the next 15 years, most of you are gone, then who, who will be here? So it was quiet in the room. I mean, it was quiet. And one gentleman said, um, well, what do you know? And I said, not much. <laughs> but what I do know is this, God did not call this church into existence so that when you're all gone, it would close. That was not the hearts of the pioneers who prayed over the ground and who envisioned the building and who dug the footings out and, and, and barn raised, so to speak, the church that you're now meeting in. There was an intention and a DNA that God had for this group of people to start this church that would grow and at least be in existence in 20 years, not, not become a shopping mall or or a bar. Not become a warehouse, but become a place of testimony for God. And I asked this question, and I started writing down their answers on another whiteboard. What experiences have you had in life? What education have you had? What technical skills do you possess in this room? One person said, "Well, I used to be a math teacher." So wrote down, "Math teacher." Somebody else said, "Well, I..." I I used to work on the base, and I, I helped launch rockets. I wrote that down. Someone else said, well, I used to be a mechanic. I wrote that down. And at the end of our 30 minutes of question and answer, we had a list of all these skills that was resident in these Teodora people. One, one lady actually studied Old Testament history and knew everything about the Jewish people. so I wrote that down, you know, Old Testament theology. And I just asked this, this, this question, what... Would your church look like? What would this neighborhood look like if all of you that said you possess those things took one hour, one week, and poured that into someone else? What could this church be known for if everyone inside of it found one thing that they could deposit in the next generation? What would you be known for? You'd be known for the church that was giving away and discipling others life upon life rather than a church that's about to close their doors for the last time. You know, in America, there's 1,500 churches every month that close their doors for the last time. Um, We're actually losing our market share.
1: But there's all these young
0: churches that are sprouting up, and it's not about style. It's not about style, because one lady said, you know, I don't like all that music now, that worship music, where the guys do the guitar like this, and they got hair in front of their eyes. And I, I said to her, what, what if you could look at the heart behind the hair? What, what if you could encourage that person? I, I still remember, folks, we bought our first projector here. We were the first church in the city to actually have a projection screen. Uh, we had to wait in line because Vandenberg was just getting theirs, and we were a week behind them. So we were, we were on cutting edge. They didn't even have their projection systems yet. We were a week behind. And we had to go out there to see some of the samples because they were making them, and and they didn't have any to send us to sample. And I remember when we put it up on the first Sunday for a test. You know who, who gave me the biggest pushback? The young people. We don't need to spend money on that. But there was an elderly lady seated down here. She was in her late 80s, and she had tears in her eyes. I thought, wow. Wow, why are you crying? She goes, that's the best thing I've ever seen. I said, tell me more, sweetheart. She goes, well, we have these little songbooks and we have these overhead projectors. Remember those? I can hardly see the words. But praise the Lord, I can see all the songs on the screen today. Wow. And she goes, my husband's sitting next to me. You, You said, let's all read the Bible. Well, we had that overhead we could hardly see. It was too small. But now you had it vivid color up there. And my husband was actually reading God's word out loud. Woo! And then she said these words, I will never forget them. Pastor, if you build this church around people like me and him, you will make a mistake. Because me and him aren't going to be here that long. But you look over there across the room, you know who you see over there? That's my granddaughter. I said, Yeah, I know your granddaughter. Her hands are up like this, and she's worshiping God. Would you build it for her? But don't just build it for her. Build it for my, my, build it for my great-grandkids because they're out there in your Sunday school classes. And long after we're gone, I pray that my great-grandkids will be a part of LFC. And long after they're gone, I pray that my daughter and my granddaughter, that they'll be a part of LFC or some church wherever God sends them. But if you build your church based on me, I'm out of here. Ashes to is dust to dust. I'm going to be dust pretty soon. oh, 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 okay. And by the way, I love that new projector. Wasn't that cool? She was embracing something that was new and something that was different, and she wasn't being stuck. You know what she was saying is, I want to build the next generation. So after I left, you probably wonder what the end of the story is. After I left that that, that group, the pastor called me up and said, "Um, our leaders have deliberated, and we, we decided we didn't like what you told them. By the way, that church is still in decline. I don't want to be him. I don't want to be the pastor who leads a church that says, well, we can't reach outside our walls. Folks, you just saw vivid evidence of what it takes. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of vision. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of direction. But if you were there uh, Friday night, and many of you were, you saw the smiles on young people's faces. Jesus tells us that all authority, Matthew 28, in heaven and on earth is given to him. Then he says this, you, you go for and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am where? With, with you always to the very end of the age. All authority. In other words, not just all power. We think of Jesus being all-powerful. But he's saying all authority. In other words, God has allowed me to be the authoritative voice to tell you it's your responsibility to go build the kingdom. I have the right to tell you this, Jesus says, and it's an imperative. You go make disciples. And I would like you to think today of three. Just, 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 just think three. Think three. Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-five says... And they will live in a land I will give to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived, and they, they, and their children, and their children's children. So some people take this to mean they is them, and their children would be my children, and my children's children, so there would be three, three generations. Some have taken this to mean that it's, it's me and it's my kids, and, and my kids' kids' kids, they take it three generations forward. But however you do it, always think three. Let's just say it this way. Here I am, next generation, next generation, three. It is my responsibility to pour my life into the next generation and the one behind it. To, to, to make sure that... that, that that, that I am doing my best to love my son and, and my daughter-in-law and then my grandkids behind them. And not just to love them and have them think I'm a, I'm a good, goofy guy, but to remind them about the value of following Jesus and the value of serving the Lord and serving the local church and making a difference with their lives. See, we are, we are called to protect the next generation. You know what protection is, right? Right? It's when, um, especially in the old days, before we had all these new fangled car seats that looked like RoboCop that strapped you all in, you know, uh, but I, I still remember being in the car with a lap belt. Does anybody remember before shoulder belts? Does anybody remember driving in cars without seat belts? Come on, you're that old? Yeah. And we all survived, but anyway, anyway, we won't talk about crash tests and all that stuff. Actually, we used, to, we used to sit in the back of pickup trucks on the 405 freeway south. You know what I mean? Anyway, 85 mile. Anyway, forget that. You, when you can hear the differential like, right under you, that's living, baby, right there. But anyway, anyway, anyway I'll, I'll get back to this. And you hit the brakes, and, and you've ever done this? Right? Listen, listen. I, I'm, I'm, you know, 30 years old, and my mom is in her 60s, and I was driving with her, and she hits the brakes and she puts her arm out. Um, my mom's like 5'2, one, 125 wet, <laughs> and she's trying to stop me with her, with her arm. But there's an instinct in a parent. Is there, it, you, you come away from the edge, huh? Your kid's about to run in the street, you'll pull their arm out of their socket to save them from hitting, being hit by a car, right? You, you, you do that. We, we are to protect the next generation from predators, from false doctrine. From, you know, things that go bump in the night. Come on. And we are called to prepare the next generation. We're called to prepare them. To train them up in the ways of God. One of the worst, horrible, sad verses in the Bible is Judges 2, verse 10. And you should all write this down somewhere. Judges 2, verse 10. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation, what? grew up who neither knew the lord or what god had done for israel so here's here's israel the red sea right manna from heaven jordan crossing god's miracles bitter water fresh water water from a rock i mean they had seen miracle after miracle and they failed to tell the next generation what they had seen and so this next generation grows up and says we don't we 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 don't know the lord or what he has done. Listen, folks, we need to be telling the next generation. Even if you don't have kids, you need to find the next generation, that you can tell them about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the salvation of God, the power of God, what it is to follow God, and how wonderful it is to know who he is. The word generation is used in the Bible 700 times, and when Moses says, I want you to teach them I want you to to imprint upon their lives, to impress upon them when they sit down and when they get up, when they walk by the way, and somebody goes, well, that's a great sermon for child dedication. No, no, no. That's a call for all of us. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people at your school. There are people you work with that don't know what you know or the God that you know, and they need to know. And who's going to tell them? I'm just one guy. You go places I don't get to go. Some of you go to top secret places. I I don't have a clearance. And and some of you are in schools. I'm not there. Whether you're playing Uno or not, I'm not there. (laughs) But we're called to provide for the next generation, not spoil them, but to provide them and teach them. And where do I get this from? I get it from the story of Paul and Timothy. In Acts 16, if you have a Bible, you could turn there. That's one place we're going to start. excuse me, Acts 16, verse 1 to 5, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. Um, We don't know if his father was an unbeliever, and that's why he's called a Greek, or we don't know if his father has passed away. There's no father. But the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. He's believed to be a teenager, and he already has a great reputation. My, uh, <laughs> my, my teacher in Bible college, first day of school, it was called Christian Ethics. He said, close your eyes. Yep, close your eyes. What do you see? Some girl next to me, nothing. That's right. That's what you own, nothing. Everything can be taken away from you. And he said, but the one thing you can't see is what you all possess. It's called your reputation. And it will literally precede you in life, and who you are, and how you speak, and how you live will make a difference at how people see you. And there was something about Timothy, who was spoken well of, and Paul wanted to take him on this journey. Not because he'd be dead weight, but because he'd carry his weight. And they traveled from town to town. They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for people to obey. And listen to this line. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers because of Paul's impact and Timothy's impact upon them. It is believed by scholars that Timothy was 30 years old, which back then would have been really young when he took over the church of Ephesus, which was Paul's favorite church. Paul gave him the baton to the church. And when you think about Paul and you think about Timothy, I just want you to to, to think three again. It's you and two others. And here's the question, who's your Paul? Paul? Who pours into you? And where's your Timothy? Who do you pour into? I, I, I really tried hard when I talked to that church that was dying to consider this. Who's pouring into you? I was trying to, and who are you pouring into? Whose life will be different because you were here? Are you going to be known as a generational spurt? You were here, woo, now you're gone. Or are you gonna leave a legacy? What's your legacy gonna be? A healthy church in your notes is always multi-generational. And that's why I'm, I'm so glad we have many generations that attend this church and we'll keep trying and working hard and making sure that happens. That that everybody that comes here wants to be here. Because you know, when somebody reaches 17 years of age, they usually go off on their own. I'm too busy now, got my own wheels. Mom can't make me go to youth group anymore. Now I'm 18. I have a choice. I'll do what I want to do. And lots of people go away to college and don't connect with the faith community. A lot of them don't. But those who have been mentored, not tormented, there's a difference. Those who have been mentored and those, listen to this, who were serving in the church, who were running games, or who last week we had two high school uh, students back here running cameras for our live stream, high school kids, We have high school kids that do uh, production or those just out of high school. We have other uh, young people that feed the screen on Sunday. We have young people working in our cafe. By the way, you want your young people serving here. Let Let me tell you why. It will help them and keep them from being selfish. There's lots of fish in the world, but we don't want them to be selfish. That was dumb. A few years ago, um, um, I, I was asked to write a letter of recommendation for a young person in our church to get scholarships, and I was really shocked that the parents asked me to write it because the kid hardly ever came to church, and when they did, they, they just came. So, dear scholarship board, um, Joe comes to church on occasion, sincerely yours. Bernie Fetterman, uh, we, we had a, a wonderful young lady, uh, J.C. Jacobson, in our church, very involved in her school, a soccer player, and, but she sang in our choir, and she sang solos here, and she served in the nursery, and she served in Children's Ministries, and when she was younger, she was a part of our graffiti um, abatement team, and she served at the, you know, the, the block party. And, and so, I, to whom it may concern, J.C. Jacobson was a fine young gal, always, almost always here, Unless she's got something going on. Very involved in her her school. But let me tell you about what she does on Sunday. She comes early to serve in the nursery. She serves in children's ministries. She serves on our cleanup team when we clean in the community. I mean, this thing was long and saucy. So you want me to write a long and saucy letter about your kids? I just thought I'd tell you that. Or I can write you one of these. Dear, who may concern? Joe comes to church. See law, you know. And, and why do I say that is because we want young people to have experience in serving in the church, but we're also building their competencies and skills for them to go out in the world. There was a young man once. He wanted to get a job in town, and they asked him this question. Do you have any, any job experience? He said, no. They said, well, we're not hiring people without experience. He told me a sad story one day in the parking lot. Oh, I can't get a job. Because I have no experience. I said, like, what do you mean? You have no experience. You serve here. So I got his application. I put an LFC letterhead and I wrote the letter. You know, to whom we may concern. This kid's got a lot of experience. Let me tell you what he's done in our church. They gave him the job. You see the difference? Well, why? Because we were pouring into him, because other people like myself were giving him a place. Second Timothy 1 5 says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, you got it, grandma, and in your mother, and I'm persuaded lives in you. You see three grandma, mama, Timothy, when I uh, pastored my first church at the ripe old age of 22, I remember my very first appointment was with a 42-year-old man and his 20-year-old daughter. She was living at home. She was promiscuous, and he wanted me to help her. (laughs) She's two years younger than you with me. This guy was a vice president at Lockheed Aircraft. He had a master's degree in organizational leadership, and he came to see me. I thought, are you kidding me? I'm fresh out of the preacher factory. I barely graduated with a bachelor's degree in theology. I am 22 years old, and he's talking. And the whole time he's talking, I'm saying, dear Lord, when he's done talking, give me something to say. (laughs) I fasted and prayed for three days because I knew they were coming. And he leaned in and he said, you're you're my pastor. And we really need to hear from you. And I just thought, whoa, really? I've been your pastor two weeks. I'm 22. What do I know? All I know is whatever I said (laughs) and how we prayed turned his daughter around. Yeah, you think because I'm great? No, no, no because he allowed me to be a younger mentor to him and to his daughter. You see that? And in weeks to come, he would say things like this to me. Hey, don't ever apologize for preaching and challenging us, even though we're twice your age. Some of us are three times your age. You preach, man. You're my pastor. I need to hear from my pastor. Yes, sir. You deliver the goods next Sunday again, pastor, because I need to hear from my pastor. I was there eight years before I came here. And what he did in my life was he built me up in such a way that I was encouraged to go back and preach again and again and again. Now, now catch this. And by the way, if I'm all long-winded today, it's because of him. You can blame Tom. That's his name. Who are you believing in? Even if they're younger than you. Who are you learning from that has less experience than you in one area but might know something else? Number two, healthy people need spiritual fathers and mothers. I love what what Paul says about Timothy. He's my son whom I love. As a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel, my true son in the faith, my dear son. And then he says to all of us, regardless of your age, I'm writing this, 1 Corinthians 4, not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000, what, guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. In other words, I want you to imitate what it means to be a guardian, and he's telling this to everyone. So if you're saying, well, I'm in high school, so yeah, old people are supposed to teach me. No, no, no. What third grader are you pouring into? What fourth grader are you helping? Where are you being a guardian? Which really means in the Greek to be a defender, a protector or a keeper, an educator, and a guide. When you hit the brakes, you're saying, wait, 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 wait! watch watch yourself. Watch watch that. Or when you see a, a, a young lady in the neighborhood and you go, oh man, that guy that she's with, that guy's a vulture. He's a sheep. Nah, he's a wolf. You smell the wolf out. You go to the parents. You tell them, man, I don't want to get involved. That's the problem. Get involved. I'm serious. Get involved. Tell them, hey, hey, Mrs. Smith, I know we don't know each other well, but but your daughter's been out in the street, you know, and this dude's been coming around, and he's really bugging me. Because every time I see him, man, I get the heebie-jeebies. I get the creepy crawlies. I mean, something, all my discernment needles are going off. There's something not right with him. Now, if Mrs. Smith blows you off, fine. You did your job. But you might be protecting that child. Come on. All right, I'll move on. Therefore, I urge you, I urge you, he says, imitate me. Discipleship is showing someone the way to become a better follower of Jesus. A lot of people think discipleship is just about classes. We have deeper life classes here. There's classes going on actually right now while I'm speaking. But here's the thing. Discipleship is not a book. It's not a talking head. It's life upon life where we help each other do life better. So who's your Paul? Good question. And who's your Timothy? Discipleship is not simply sharing your life, uh, sharing your faith rather, it's sharing your life. And the third thing is that that healthy churches learn from young leaders. I told you the story about my first church and here was a healthy church allowing a young leader to come and, and pour life into them. They didn't reject me. I thank God always for that church. They could have rejected me. I was the youngest pastor they ever had, and the church had had nine previous pastors who were all rookies. So they had been rookieized. I mean, first church guys, you know, coming in, and here I come. And rather than saying, Well, we are here when you got here, we'll be here when you leave, they embraced us. They embraced us. See, young people are to be guardians too. I mean, there are sixth graders who can help second graders. There are middle schoolers who can help fifth graders. There are high schoolers who can help young people. And until we all embrace that fully, the church will be missing something about this generational thing. Don't let anybody, 1 Timothy 4.12, look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and in faith and impurity. That's why I commend this church so much. I think of a a young leader who was at our party the other night, Mike Janitis, who used to be a part of our youth team uh, here, was on our staff. Uh, We got Mike out of Las Vegas. He had gone to a a one-year intern program at his church, had never been on staff, had never been a youth pastor, and we took a risk on the guy. And now he's doing great. He's down in the LA area. Uh, There's two churches that they have. Uh, This one church oversees two. He has two youth groups and and he's preaching and he's leading our camps in our district, but he started here. I think of a young guy named Eric Germison, who's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who went back there to pioneer a church and then melded his church into another one. He showed up on our doorstep one day and said, "Hey, I want to intern here." I said, "Who are you?" <laughs> he says, "I just I want to serve." And we let him serve. We add him to our staff. I think of a young guy, if you've been around any late the time, you might remember Big Mike Dyer. Uh, I liked Mike because... He's bigger than me, and he made me feel skinny when we got together, but <laughs> today, Mike is pastoring the Ukiah in Ukiah called the River Church. It was a little small church. It was on its decline, and Mike's gone in there and renovated that church. They've now gone to two services on Sunday morning, and in the recent fires that we had up north, Mike opened up his church to people that needed a place to come in and, and reflect and refresh, and they opened up their church to firefighters, and they passed out food and And I just, Mike, I'm so proud of you. And and, and Mike had a back-to-school bash that looked like the post-game party. And I sent him a text. I said, Mike, I'm so proud of you. And you know what he said? Hey, I learned from the best. I learned from LFC. I thought, yeah, that's right, buddy, don't forget it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of um, one of their young cops in town, brand new cop, house burned to the ground in the fires. Wife and four kids. And uh, so I, I called Mike up and I said, um, if we sent you an offering, would you use that money to bless that family in the name of the Lord to your church? And, and Mike was in tears. And so they've gone out and, and they used some of your tithe. You didn't know that. We just, and we, we said, don't, don't say it came from Lompoc. You just say it came from the River Church. And they were able to bless this young family that lost everything in the fire a law enforcement officer. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that great? But we trust in Mike and we believe in what he's doing. But why do I bring that up with you know, two minutes left? You know why? Because that's the heart of Jesus, that we would help raise up and train up the next generation. See, young people are expected to show the church what it looks like to follow Jesus with a fully surrendered heart. Number four, healthy Christians pray for each other. We, we, we see this, 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. We need to be encouraging the next generation. See, if we go to the next generation with this, they're going to do this. I'm telling you. But if you go to the next generation with this, cheering you on, they're going to open their hands. I did it the other night. I, I talked to a young lady at the party. And I said, Tell me about you. Oh, okay. And I said, What's your dream, sweetheart? And she started telling me their dream. And then she said this, this phrase to me, verbatim Why do you care about me? And something in my soul said, There must not be a lot of care coming to this sweet, sweet lady. And I said, You know why I care about you? Because God made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He has a purpose for your life. And I'm not here to preach, but I, I, want, I want you to know something. You put God first, things will change for you. And I want to encourage you, and I say I want to cheer you on to live out your dreams. Don't let anybody despise your youth. Don't let anybody tell you you can't accomplish what you set your mind to. If you work really hard, you'll be you'll be amazed. And then I saw her later on eating pizza, and cheese was dripping down, and, you know, and she was playing games and stuff. But but that question, why do you why do you care about me? I I, I believe this. There's lots of people wondering if anybody cares about them at all. So how committed are you to passing on the faith to those who come after you? How how committed are you to praying for those younger and older than you? Don't don't wait for the church to to come up with a program of mentorship. You find somebody. Make yourself a list. What, What do I know that someone might need to know? Where's somebody who's eager to be in a career that I already have? Where's somebody who's thinking about the stars and space and and you're a part of space exploration or space defense. You, you understand some of this stuff. I'm not telling you to give them top secrets, but you can tell them about stuff. You can bring them a poster from United Launch Alliance or from SpaceX, right? You can help them dream to the stars. Maybe there's somebody that wants to be a policeman or a fireman, and you, you know about that stuff. Maybe, maybe there's somebody who, who, who can't decide what branch of service to go into, and, and, and you are in a certain branch. Go Navy. Go Army. Come on. And maybe you want to speak to them. Maybe you know how to garden and somebody's interested in gardening. Maybe somebody's interested in cars and hot rod and they love the smell of unburnt fuel. I know you don't, but anyway. <laughs> or, 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 or they're into motorcycles or they're into sports or they're just think about it. Where can you pour your life into somebody else? And, and what price will we pay to see young people grow in their faith? And will we allow the next generation to serve with us and even lead us and teach us? And will we affirm them when they lead and serve and say, good good, good job? This morning, there was a young man in our first service. Um, his name is Gregory Wuchchik. And uh, he took fourth place for LHS and cross country and CIF. And, and, and he's a junior. And I said, man, next year you'll be even faster. You'll take first place. He had his letterman's jacket on. You should have seen him. You know, because you think of LHS, you think football, football, fo- fo- fo-. but there's other sports too, right? Come on, and and I just, I just in the service just commended him. He, should, he lit up like a Christmas tree, you know. His family cheers him on and encourages him. That, that's great. But so you could find somebody who's done that and just, hey, that's great, that's great. Get off my lawn. No, 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 no. That's that's great. Or or a phrase like this. Oh, kids these days. Get that your vocabulary. Just say, yeah, kids these days, they can do great things for God. God can use them to build things. God can use them to teach us. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.